I hate vampire. Right, paper werewolves. Uh, uh, tractor rape chain. Yeah, that's um, all the good ones. Yeah. Echoes Myron <laughs> like a siren. All that stuff. Like Motorway Auditorium. Motor away. <laughs> That's a great That's song. That's a great man. song. The chance of a lifetime. I like be Hammer and Boom. Is that song? Oh, oh, hey everybody. We're just <laughs> we're just naming all our favorite mm. Guided by Voices songs that we can remember off the top of our heads. Game of Pricks. But, oh yeah, it's a, <laughs> but oh i guess we'll, while we're here we could also talk about some star trek yes so yeah we've been calling this our priority message segment but then i realized there's another somewhat popular star trek podcast who i won't name because we're you know we're the underdogs here we don't need to go to big pod it's them jesse <laughs> um, thorn guys <laughs> yeah there's only room enough for one star trek podcast with one guy recording from Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think he's, a neighbor. He's, from your, he's from your neighbor. Yeah, he's your neighbor I think he's there. moving. To, well, hey, hey. anyways. He moved to your building? <laughs> no, that was that was another guy on my old apartment that I... Uh, never mind. I don't need... I don't think Chris Gethard really cares about Star Trek. You lived with Chris Gethard in your building? Yeah, my old place. Yeah, it's a hip neighborhood I live in. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Speaking of hipster douchebags, I was just about to say, and I lived here before it was cool. I'm the douchebag, but, not those other guys. Those guys are great. You but, but you didn't meet Judd Apatow. I did not. All right, so what are your names, motherfuckers? <laughs> oh, oh, they already know our names. I was just saying, instead of priority transmission, oh. or tra- that's the name of that other podcast segment, I was thinking of The Great Link. The Great Joining <laughs> The Great Link. Oh. Where we we can invite everybody to just, you know, sit in our own juices and stew for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll workshop it. I think I think it's something we'll have to consider. Join us in the goo bath of the Great Lake. <laughs> I don't know. I was, I, not a lot of things gross me out, but the, whenever they show out over that sea of goo people in the show, that always grosses me out. <laughs> it is a little skeevy. It's it? like all them bodies. and I don't think that's cool, man. That's fucking weird. <laughs> You can never really get clean when you're always yeah. you got all them good. filthy. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a very uh, bigoted, solid. It, it, way it is definitely, <laughs> but the idea of not knowing where your body begins and another body ends has never been something that's been enticing to me. <laughs> yeah, man, that's just. That's, I'm a pretty dirty guy, and that's not something that I've wanted to experience. <laughs> dirty guy. <laughs> just you wait till the singularity when we all upload our consciences. When our coding anywhere. interacts on on the interwebs, I don't know. Yep, it's just gonna be. But we're just gonna be all. But is a goo. Yeah. Uh, anyways, we've got a lot of stuff to get through, so maybe we should just, I don't know, whatever we call this thing. Messages from the goo. <laughs> right. Postcards from the yeah. goo. Yeah, how about messages from... Have Postcards from the goo. Postcards from the goo. We'll work on it, dear audience. <laughs> mm-hmm. we'll, we haven't given up on it yet. No. Yeah. We might just call it voicemails and emails. We might just do that. <laughs> yeah, we'll go the freakish way. Uh, yeah. Okay, so this is where we're... Okay, this is the first one. Let's see... Got another message here from Kristen from Toronto, who had some great stuff for us last time. Uh, Let's see what she has now. (laughs) She finds talking to Richard Picardo a touch unsettling, it says in this email. So Mm -hmm. she's she's sending us an email. He he is a prick. He's he's a real (laughs) asshole, yeah. 
<laughs> yes. All right. So let's let's see what Kristen has to say. Hey, guys, this is Kristen from Toronto again. I um, listened to your last episode um, and I was actually going to call in last week about disappointing stereotypical bisexual Kira. Um, but you know what? It fits this one as well um, as to the missed opportunity to have the Garak Bashir romance. Um, I do think that Star Trek's continued heteronormativity and uh, really stereotypical gender roles a lot of the time is disappointing. I just figure in like 400 years, I don't think every woman who gets married is going to take her husband's last name. And I don't think that many people would be um, heterosexuals in stable monogamous relationships, or I don't know if stable is the right word to use. I just figure some interesting stuff would have happened with sex and relationships and gender presentations, and that doesn't seem to be a thing that Star Trek ever fantasizes about. I mean, you know, the thing that you learn from science fiction isn't about the future, it's about the people of now. So, I mean, it's obviously going to be about the anxieties and needs and preconceptions of people from the mid-90s, so fine. But anyway, I also agree they really should have gotten Garrick and Bashir together because both of them, their eventual heterosexual love interests, are just not that interesting as relationships and not that plausible, especially Bashir's. But you haven't gotten there, so you won't go there. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys, because I was thinking about this based on the premise of your podcast, that DS9 is a precursor to the golden age of TV. It's a transitional fossil. And you've done this a bit with DS9 with your white albums. I would love to hear you guys speculate on what you think the other Star Trek series would be like if they were made today. I mean, DS9, we know what it would be like. It would be like it is, except there would be less of it. And the acting would be better. And um, they probably would have had naked Dax at some point in time <laughs> and there'd be less of it. They'd have shorter seasons. Um, personally, I feel like Voyager would have been a lot darker and grittier and um, not had a reset button. And Janeway would have had to make a lot more difficult and hard and morally compromising decisions. So basically it would have been Battlestar Galactica. Um, TNG, I think, would have gone more like um, hard hitting political drama, like House of Cards, maybe. Um, and Enterprise, I think, actually would be mostly the same, except, again, there would be less of it, and it would be kind of a lot better. Um, not to diss Enterprise. Enterprise is okay. I don't hate Enterprise. It's fine. Um, I can't imagine updating TOS at all. It's just got to stay it as it is. So, anyway, we'd love to hear you guys um, riff on that a little bit. That's a that's a brain worm. Yeah, that, I have there's a, some good stuff in there, but... Yeah, as far as the sexual politics and everything, yeah, man, Star Trek's about swinging dicks in space, am I right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, space yeah. love across the, the lyrics. I think Roddenberry wrote we know the what the original series, w the TOS would be basically the Kelvin universe if it was made today. I think that's pretty <laughs> much well, I mean, seriously, it would okay, just be but what if serialized. It was not, what if it was made by not cynical people? Um, like, what if it well, was... That, well, that, that gets when... TNG for what she was talking about. Oh, I know what TNG would have been the West Wing because it's all like all about ideas and idealized versions. Of and it. you know what? If people just would do what us liberals think is right, then we could solve all the problems, <laughs> which is my problem with the West Wing. But yeah, it's a little more complicated. <laughs> sure, I haven't they, watched they, all of it. This is a thing that you've told me. Yeah, yeah, you need to watch West Wing. Uh, it's not great, but I think actually Voyager is the one that the premise 
itself could stand up a little bit better in today's TV landscape. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, because the situation is just so heightened yeah. to begin. Well, with. like she said, it would right. it would be Battlestar, except in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. No, I think that's a little dismissive. They are trying to get from point A to point B, but they've got some adversity. Yeah. Victory is not assured. But if you mix Voyager with DS9, you've got one ship that has to go through hell and gets more than a year out of hell, like they have in Voyager, which is is a great two-parter. It should have been the whole series, but they've got... They're being chased by an evil robotic... Yeah, that can look like anybody. Be, yeah, I mean, you're being chased by a robotic villain that then can... Oh, yeah, they're the Borg, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that they need to cooperate with in order to get to the promised land. It's not... Are you talking about the Borg? Well, uh, yeah, she doesn't she have to... Uh, ultimately... I mean, they don't work... They oh, use Borg technology. No, and, there's a third bad guy in Voyager. There's a bad guy that that's such a badass... Oh, the, Species the, the, 7 that doesn't even get a real name. Right. It doesn't yeah, even get it. Yeah, they get, it gets it like a serial number and it fucks up Borgs. Like the Borgs are scared of it. Yeah, and yeah. then the Voyager basically has like, if we're going to avoid the Borg, we have to go where the Borg won't because there's a larger predator out there that will. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty cool way around the Borg problem. I don't know. Anyway, I've got lots of Voyager thoughts and it's probably my favorite premise. It's a lot of my favorite stuff is in Voyager and it's squandered. I feel like it was mishandled. Yeah, I agree. Deeply satisfying conclusion, though. I felt I got choked up at the end of it in a way that I had it in any Star Trek episode ever. Oh, I need to rewatch the ending. Yeah. But uh, are we missing anything else out of Kristen's voicemail? I feel like there's a lot of great stuff in there. that I'm going to think on that. I think that there might be something. We might have to revisit that. I think that. I'm going to have a. Yeah, yeah, we might have to revisit yeah, that. Yeah, I'm saying that I think I might have a TNG reboot in my mind. And I think we've slowly been working, so it's easier that we would slowly be working towards a, a Deep Space Nine. When okay, can we cast Tom Reaper. Hardy as Picard? <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah well, Fuck yeah. Well, well, he is Picard. He's a clone of him, right? Yeah. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right hard with Jude Law. I think Jude Law's perfect. Oh, mm-hmm. You know what? I love that young Pope. I know. And he's, I don't know how. I can I see mean, it, man. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he can be firm without also being smarmy. That's Oh, my... who's that? What about Christopher Eccleston or whatever his name is, the Doctor Who guy? Oh, the he Ninth actually... Doctor? I'm in love with the Ninth Doctor. He looks like Patrick Stewart <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Let's talk about Leftovers. Let's do our Leftovers podcast. His, ma- his last episode for, he was fucking awesome in that. No, he looks like, he looks like. Because... If you shave his head, yeah, maybe. He yeah, looks... mm-hmm. he would. Yeah, he got a big old, big old. I see it. Can he actually have a French accent? Shouldn't that be important? It's it's 24th century, right? But he's he's awful French, but he's in no way French. No, it's very but weird. I mean Eccleston. I mean he seems to be fucking excellent with accents. Maybe he could pull. It no, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a fucking amazing American accent. Yeah, no, Chris Eccleston. That's a because he could you could do that. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we need to get. Yeah. Let's, you got to be practical when you're hiring too. Right. Okay. Let's let's do this. That's a let's let's hold off. Let's back off and like maybe do that as a whole thing. Whole <laughs> yeah. Thing that might do. be a special episode, Kristen. Very good. Yeah. That was a, that that that's gonna fester in me. Yeah. Good work. Yeah. I can just think of it. Yeah. Here's the thing that I would like to see, and I knew that it's not gonna happen in 1990, but I would like to see a scene where Bashir and Garrick and Keiko 
and O'Brien have a double date because they're like as a Bashir and a Garrick are official. <laughs> they, they go into the room. They throw all their keys into a bowl. <laughs> no, no, no. That all of a sudden, this thing has been a best friend of his. That because I mean, I'm not saying that Colmini's not he's not he's not homophobic or he's probably not full of gay panic. But maybe he's got a little bit of gay panic. He seems to have sort of a salt of the earth sort of quality, and like he's uncomfortable dining with Cardassians for a lot of reasons. I think that's 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 that, a, that's, a, that's a softball. I think in 2017. You don't need a, a gay panic episode. No, no, not a gay I, panic. I, I, just him. But no, 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 no. Hold well, on. Let me let, let me get it all out. Let now. me get it all out. I think. Let me get it all out. That just how weird and uncomfortable it is to watch a Cardassian homosexual relationship with his friend. And the, obviously, the course of the episode, it would be about how he's cool with it. I'm not turning it into the in the chips or whatever. I'm not turning it into that kind of gay panic stuff. But just to, to be a subtle uncomfortability to like reside amongst O'Brien and K- like that would be interesting to me. Okay. And also, I think that their witty banter would be so much more heightened post-intimacy that it would be <laughs> oh, so man. much more fun to watch. Yes. I, a scene of just like naked Gashir, Gashir <laughs> Eric and Bashir just in a bed with that just, mm-hmm. <laughs> the scene opens with them just falling backwards in that way that nobody actually does in real life, flopping onto the bed. Whenever I'm around long-term homosexual couples, it is one of the most comfy, like there's sarcasm and oh. biting commentary to each other. It's so fun to me. Well, at least we'd get that, uh, to the bottom of the tail in that in that scene. <laughs> yeah, way. That, that was like, but in this reboot, do they have tails? Yes, that would be that. Yeah, and let's just be honest here. Bashir's got all the qualities of a power bottom, <laughs> and so so and that would be a character trait that could come to fruition for him. Uh, <laughs> all right, all, all right. right. <laughs> well, uh, all right. So now I. Voicemail here from Stefan in the Netherlands. Uh, we'll just jump into this one. He titled his email to us here, Improbable Gay Vibes. <laughs> Hello, guys. This is Stefan uh, with some comments about Improbable Cause. Great title. Um, over the years, I've had the opportunity to ask a number of uh, gay men about the Bashir Garrick friendship, and they seem to generally regard it as a bromance rather than anything intended to be homosexual. So, they're not really picking up the vibe that you guys seem, uh, seem to be picking up. Um, I've never really picked it up myself, even though I've read that a lot of people seem to read something into it. But just something interesting for you guys maybe to discuss. Uh, as for the episode, it's superb. I love it. It solves some of the issues that you guys mentioned in the last few podcasts. Um, so they're really starting to get their act together. Next week's going to be, I think, even better. I hope you guys agree. Anyway, uh, looking forward to the next podcast and uh, talk to you guys later. As you probably know, we definitely did agree. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we did agree. Okay, yeah, yes. Yeah, you're right. Maybe it wasn't overt, but there's some gay vibe. Okay, <laughs> well, okay. Uh, he's making me wonder. No, well, he, I mean, he's got a small sample size. He does have a small sample size, I mean, but he asked this, this. Are we, we would all say that Andrew Robinson is making acting decisions that we would find to be what would be in a social code as pretty stereotypically homosexual, right? Mm, I'm saying he that he started he's a little doing lispy. that. He's calling forth a Truman Capote-like sort of affectation. Well, he definitely, like, we've already talked about, like, how he started with that and was more foppish and mm-hmm. then told him to pull back on it, right? But he's still, he's still pretty foppish. Yeah, and there's, I mean, and by the time the show gets running, it's still a Primetime show 
although made in syndication, in the 90s, yes, it's not totally overtly gay pickup mm-hmm. because it can't be. <laughs> you know, like, I think my argument most of the time when we talk about it is like, yeah, it should be. That would have been great, but they can't go full. You, they can't You leave. don't think, whoa, 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 you don't think when Ira Stephen Bear and Ronald D. Moore and Robert Hewitt Wolf are, are flicking these stories around a table in a room. They're not openly talking about it being a homoerotic relationship. They might be making jokes about it, but then they know that they can't. They can't. They can't confirm anything. No, they're restricted by a code. But at their most creative, they're playing with these elements, right? I think so. Uh, yeah. Whether I, I, I'm not sold that they're doing it openly. Not openly in in a closed room. I I know. I mean, even in the closed oh. room. I mean, sure. But in okay, yeah. because what I don't think we're doing is like okay if you watch top gun it's pretty common now to say that there's this gay love triangle between Iceman, goose and maverick and that's clearly not yeah i need more butts <laughs> that's clearly like <laughs> you making a boring ass 80s not not a great 80s movie yeah. better by adding this extra social element to it all right and i don't think i'd say that shit's just flying under the surface of of 80s masculinity but i don't <laughs> think like, that's what we're doing here here's a there was a big article in 2014 on the toast.net it was called deep space nine the gayest star trek <laughs> and it was written by john wentz and it's filed under lgbt and you know the opening line is as follows i'm going to keep this relatively short because it involves two things that at times have limited circles star trek and lgbt things deep space nine is is the gayest star trek and then it goes on and then you know and it talk he, this this gentleman talks about as a not straight person how he interprets it as being the gayest star trek and he goes on and uh cites the uh, bashir uh, relationship with Garrick as one of his prime examples. So, I mean, the fact that this was a very big article when it came out in my corner of the internet, mm-hmm. and that's where I, I got that. I mean, I'm not discounting Stefan's gay friends and their opinion, or his small sample size. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, in my corner of the world, yes, Deep Space Nine is the gayest Star Trek. These relationships read as thinly veiled gay relationships, and uh, there's... There's something going on there that people who identify as not straight can tap into and identify with. Yeah. And I think that's... Do we know that... That's sort of our our point. Whether it's overt or whatever the intention is, my point is that go to DeviantArt yeah. and look up Garrick and Bashir. I mean, I've, It doesn't matter how much... There, there's something there. But on the other hand, go to DeviantArt and look up Sherlock, Cumberbatch, yeah. uh, Martin Freeman. Or the original Kirk at Spock. Yeah. So you can... <laughs> I think it's there, and I think it's there, and I think that Iris Stephen Bear wanted it there, covertly, and I think that Andrew Robinson wanted it there. And I just, and I think that, like, us as Americans, we tend to, it's a joke that, especially in the 90s, not when we weren't that familiar with homosexuality and there was still a lot of closeting of the culture and still sort of a lot of segmenting between straight culture and gay culture, there was this idea that a lot of Americans, middle Americans, could confuse Britishness for gayness. And I think that maybe Andrew Robinson playing on... I have the Andrew Robinson quote about it, if you want me to read it. Oh, he's got a quote? Yes. Yeah. He says, this is from the, the gay Star Trek article that I cited earlier. Andrew Robinson has said in interviews that he has pretty intentionally played him as a queer character. Mm. Like, seriously. And here's the quote. He's not gay. 
he's not straight. It's not a non-issue for him. Basically, he's sexually inconclusive. It's a Star Trek, and there are a couple things working against that. One is that Americans really are very nervous about sexual ambiguity. Yep. Also, this is a family show, and they had to keep it, quote, straight and narrow, end quote. So then I backed off from it. Originally, in that very first episode, yeah. I loved the man's absolute fearlessness about presenting himself to an attractive human being. The fact that the attractive human being is a man, Bashir, doesn't make any difference to him. That was a little too sophisticated, I think. And so that's the quote where he's saying that he intentionally makes him attracted to Bashir, and it doesn't matter that Bashir's a man or Oh, not. also, so, it goes on, the, I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm on the article with you now. It also goes on, the next paragraph talks about in that book that I fucking left had like squandered my opportunity to. Oh yeah, he's bisexual in that book. He, that he, he talks about openly male and female crushes in the book. Yeah, I I have John is the the author of this article is is somebody who's been friendly friends with me on on Twitter and Tumblr for years now, and and we're both Star Trek fans, and mm-hmm. I, I've invited him on the show, and he's been open to it. I should have him on the show, and maybe see if he wants to talk about this. Uh, issue at large. Yeah, that'd be great. That would be. But, yeah, but Stefan, uh, kudos to you. Stefan. For mm-hmm. Stefan. Yes, I'm gone. Yeah, I'm and sorry. this goes a long way <laughs> towards Stephen. making me feel better because I did wonder when you, when Stefan was asking that, I was like, you have to sort of question yourself. Stefan. Like, Steph, Stefan. <laughs> when, when he was asking that, I, I did have to kind of. Stefan, God. Yeah, sorry, Stefan. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, I did have to like question myself is, am I just code reading, like improperly dumb, straight white male? Like Gen X or reading the wrong code. Oh, he's got a lisp, so he's clearly playing him as gay, which is that, that's not fair. I've never noticed the lisp on him. I mean, I've noticed him playing maybe a I, proper lisp. Is he's he's a little Liberace, buddy. I mean, like more than Andrew Robinson is in other things. I think that sure, sure. I yeah, don't just okay. denote that as being a Andrew Robinson because he's not that way in other. Yeah, yeah. He's not that way in Dirty Harry or Hellraiser, which is the only two things I've ever seen him in. So uh, I don't know. We, we got to watch. Re- uh, All right. Yeah. Well, you. What else you got for us? Oh, Wait. oh, I got plenty. Uh, let's see. Okay. All right. Let's see. That was from Stephen. Yeah, Stephen's been taking all our inter- international time up. I know, I know. I, I guess Twiggy's fine with that. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't want to start a feud. I exactly want to start a feud. <laughs> No. So, oh, and we've got another voicemail here from Stefan on the Die is Cast. Hit it, Stefan. Yeah. This is titled The Die Hits the Fucking Jackpot. Okay, that intrigues me. My favorite Dick Francis novel. I'll give that time to land. I'm sorry. That was the funniest thing. <laughs> that does sound like a dick friend. <laughs> oh, we got my whole household. Okay. I'm, I, wish, I wish we had a graphic designer listener that would make... That would make a fake Dick Francis book cover with that as a title. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just did a spit take all over my computer. <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. I'm good. Professional <laughs> podcaster. <coughs> okay. 
All right, we're good. Who's who the fuck's calling about what? I'm <laughs> this sorry. is Stephen. That erased my mind. Okay, Stephen. That comment, Nick Francis joke, erased my mind. The last two minutes were... Well, you do know the title of his voicemail here, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do. That's the last thing I remember. <laughs> All right, hit it. Sorry. <laughs> That's the stupidest fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I could just uh, see a horse racing. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm good. I swear to God. I'm going to be quiet, Wade. All right. We all need to go to bed, I, I know, but. All right. All right. Professional. Hello, guys. I just finished listening to your podcast for the Dice Cast. Um, like the previous one, I love this episode, and this particular two-parter is really one of my favorite Star Trek stories ever. It's the first time, really, for me that DS9 really hit a, hit a home run when it comes to dealing with the Dominion. They've been dealing with the Dominion throughout Season 3, but mostly as background to the one-episode storyline, same Kind of like they did with the Kardashian stuff the, and the Bajorans, uh, the politics, uh, the, their peace treaty. Um, the reason for that, I think, what I've been reading is that um, Paramount and Rick Berman didn't really want D- DS9 to become a serialized show. Uh, at that time, I guess, serial- serialization was still looked down upon as something belonging to daytime soap operas and those Aaron Spelling dramas. Um, also, as I understand it, it's more difficult to show episodes out of order in syndication. And that means that while there's actually a lot going on in, in Season 3 re- with regards to this storyline and the Dominion, um, it's, it's always in the background, like the whole build-up for the, the Obsidian Order fleet was um, background to the uh, Tom Wrecker show. And in Probable Cause, the Dice cast uh, really brings it the threat of the Dominion up front and center. And it's a starting point for a lot of elements we see later on. For example, the changelings infiltrating the enemy and actively manipulating their strategies, especially comes from this episode. So it elevates what would have otherwise been a decent but slightly low-key season. Uh, it's also the first instance in Star Trek of what a friend of mine calls Starship Porn. So uh, it's just fantastic that they're throwing some money and resources to actually show a proper space battle. Uh, the Next Generation fans, some uh, some comments I've read over the years, um, they complain that Star Trek's not it's about ideas, not action. But if you're telling an epic story like this, it it's, it does help when you can occasionally put some some money on the screen. I just love this one. Um, I'm glad you you guys liked it too. It's getting better now, right? <laughs> okay, see you around, guys. Yeah, it's pretty great, isn't it? <laughs> it's great. It, this is the Chris Farley show, man. Like, <laughs> I, I'm worried that we're get, I th- getting. I think he brings up some interesting point about the syndication like yeah. Paramount had a vested interest in not doing overarching storylines because it's hard to show reruns in syndication like that, the whole Star Trek phenomenon basically owes its success to syndication the fact that kids could come home from school for years and just see it on repeat and know the moving parts and fully immerse into the the stories, you know, allowed it to gain, um, you know, a fandom 
Yeah. That was unlike anything else on television. And so f- I can understand how – but, I mean, you ha- they have – obviously, if you're going to – you have to change with the times, I guess. Yeah. If you're going to be a, a healthy franchise. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of the whole thesis of our show, right? Yeah, yeah. That they were, mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. so I – I think that's what it, that was the rub. Like, I mean, kids our age, there's no reason we should. I should have seen as many Gilligan's Islands as Brady's bunches as, as I have. I mean, oh I, my god, yes, I'm same here. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's, that's because it was the only thing. It was the only thing that was on, so we watched it. Right. So that was due to syndication, you know, and and so right. you could see. Let's say while a, a Paramount executive in 1993 could see that, holy shit, they're still playing the Beverly Hillbillies on TV every fucking day, and 10-year-old boys like James Nolan is watching them. <laughs> so we could be, conceivably, these these next generations could be watched on syndication for the next 40 years. That's what they're thinking. The, you know, um, but that wasn't right. the most satisfying television being made at that time period, and I think that, that that's sort of the friction... And I actually think that maybe... As a kid, I was always really confused by Rocky and Bullwinkle, you know? (laughs) (laughs) They're like, wait a minute, I I watched so much and I never saw where that story that talked about. (laughs) Yeah, like, so there's this whole idea that they... uh, (laughs) Take that, millennial. (laughs) Yes. What the fuck is he talking about? And yeah, that's interesting. I think that's why a show like Chips, like that movie Chips, the Mr... Kristen Bell movie didn't work. It's because nobody knows what the fuck Chips is anymore. Yeah. But we watched it on syndication. So, like, but one of the things that I think that they, that, that that's not satisfying television. And I actually think that it's probably an indication of Paramount giving up on Deep Space Nine that they started letting them do so much serialization. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they didn't care. Right, they had Voyager was a flagship, so they could do what they wanted on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, yeah. But they accidentally, without knowing it, they built something to last in the streaming age. Yeah. Whereas kids can come yeah. home and stream one thing after another, whereas we used to come home and watch one thing after another. We had no choice. And so it's, I think that you know, that you're one of the, the hallmarks of this era of television, in contrast to the golden age we're living in now, is that probably creators spend a lot of time talking about staying in the sweet spot of of ratings to where you're getting enough ratings that they'll renew you, but you're not getting enough ratings that they'll give a shit about what's on your show. <laughs> like, and that's right. pro- well, and they were, yeah, they were still building around sweeps, you know, like, yeah, well, but th- everything was focused on the big leaders. The big glinch pin's going to be sweeps in the beginning and end of the season. Yeah. And that's, and that's like, you already have your, you know, arc. So that's why all that boring shit like Meridian gets stuck in the middle. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you, th- you think about how different that is from, like, this last season of Game of Thrones, which has a major character reveal that his parent was a character that we've never seen before or that's never been on the show. And it was a big, satisfying reveal for everyone. Like, that, that's a that's a testament to storytelling and, like, suits letting people tell stories, you know, and, and you can't imagine, like... Odo is really some fucking character we've never, the son of some fucking character we've never fucking seen before. Yeah. <gasps> like, you know, no one would care. But like, I, that was a testament to how much they believe in the ability to craft long term stories. Is that like five conversations about this character that no one's seen visually on screen can be important in season six of Game of Thrones? 
Right, but also they have four seasons of becoming the greatest show. Yes, yeah, of yeah, the yeah, of the yeah. era, so that they can do whatever the fuck they want. If it was struggling for ratings through seasons two through four, they wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, that would have been all. Yeah, yeah. Somebody would have given notes. <laughs> like, yeah, I agree with you. Yep. All right. Uh, that it. Okay. <laughs> do you want more? Well, is that it for another? <laughs> do we <laughs> do we want to give out the voicemail? Oh yeah, and the email before we sign off. Yes, yes, I can give you that voicemail. It, give us a call at. 917-408-3898 or email us at rulesofacquisitionpodcast at gmail.com follow us on twitter at acquisitionpod do all the other things that all the other podcasts tell you to do rate us and subscribe and blah 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 mm-hmm. um, follow us on all our other endeavors <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah Follow my YouTube channel, Forever James. Yep. Follow his comic book. Yeah. Crimes Against Humanities. Yep. Forever Hughes's. <laughs> Forever Hughes's. Uh, and my Tumblr, Fake Vic Francis covers. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week on the Rules of Acquisition. Three, two, beam out. Do you know the cunt weasels that run this show have a call in line? where you can express your DS9 wishes and DS9 dreams into their ear holes. They will play them on air and try to be nice to you, because one day they hope to sell you Blue Apron snacks and underwear made out of Modal. The number is 917-408-3898. That number again is 917-408-3898. You will probably want to talk about how hot Dax and Bashir are. That is great. These pretentious asses also love it when people say they are wrong. So feel free to do that. James will probably go off on a knowingly obtuse rant about construction issues or political sophistication. We know you love that. Again 917-408-3898. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes.